Hey, K-pop cast listeners, before we begin this episode, I just want to give a plug for another podcast that you beautiful, wise, perceptive, critical thinking connoisseurs of great podcasts would appreciate. The show is called Name Three Songs Podcast. Um, for those of you who remember, Stephanie was actually a guest on this podcast previously. But what's really great about this show is that their mission is to challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. So I think that that's a mission that resonates with a lot of our listeners uh, here at the K-Pop cast. Um, they had a recent episode with Thomas Bodinette, who's also been on our show a few times, where they talk about K-Pop, Western fans, and fetishization. Um, they've also talked about other really great topics, such as the power of male fans and the subjugation of fangirls uh, with Lucy Ford. And um, anyway, I just want to say it's another great go-to resource that I also listen to uh, as I consume my podcast. So give them a listen. I'm providing a link to that show in the description of this episode. Without further ado, here we go. She thought that debuting in a K-pop band was the finish line, but it was only the beginning. Now, Candace must find the courage to stand by her beliefs, even when powerful forces are trying to shame and silence her. In the sequel to K-Pop Confidential, Candace is a rookie idol, and her life is suddenly filled with glamour of stardom. Her new girl group, known simply as The Girls, is poised to break records across the industry. With her status as the industry's K-pop warrior, she has all the clout at her disposal to make waves, right? Her label, SAY, <laughs> promises to make the sweeping changes for the industry to become a more humane and compassionate place for artists. But what will happen when the road to a record-breaking debut isn't smooth as they planned? When a rival group emerges to steal the spotlight, carrying the message of change better than Candace ever could, she'll have to decide what it'll cost her and her bandmates to stand up for their beliefs. And as the world turns around her, with online bullies scrutinizing her every word, there's only so much that one person can take. So if you didn't catch on already, that's the boiler for the sequel to K-Pop Confidential, K-Pop Revolution. And we're privileged and happy to welcome the author himself, Stefan Lee. Uh, to join us and talk about this work and, and uh, things that we find interesting, the themes around these stories. Uh, welcome, Steve. Uh, Steph. <laughs> welcome, I knew it. Steph- I knew it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> welcome, Stefan. Oh, thank you so much, Peter and Stephanie. Um, no, it is confusing having a Stefan and a Stephanie. <laughs> um, and what's <laughs> even more confusing is that um, I think a lot of your listeners and um, maybe you guys would know that um, Lee in actual Korean is kind of E. <laughs> oh no! Oh, my God. <laughs> oh no! But I guess it would be more like E Stefan. Like, e Stefan, uh, yeah. <laughs> not a Stefan E, but yeah, um, it's something I've gotten all my life. So you are in mm. very good company. <laughs> well, thank you for that reading of the um, blurb or the synopsis. Um, you made it sound so dramatic, oh. which I guess it, it is. is. <laughs> Peter's talent. No, I, yes. Well, it, it was yeah. a fun, um, uh, we, we, we read the, the, what K-pop confidential and uh, K-pop revolution. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I think and we're both, both page turners. Yes. For oh, sure. thank you so like, much. What happens next? Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Whenever I do an interview, I have zero expectation that people have read the books or book because, um, as someone who used to interview authors all the time, there was only like a 50% chance I'd read the whole thing cover to cover. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I got good at asking like, how did you come up with the title? What do you think <laughs> of the cover? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what your book is Hilarious. about in your own words. You know? <laughs> right. Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think there, there was just a I'll just kick it off right off the bat by saying like what I appreciated about uh, these two novels was um, like, sure, we read and talk about K-pop all the freaking time. And we know more or less, you know, as, as much as like a Western outsider can, you know, from an outside mm-hmm. perspective, like, you know, what's happening in the industry. But reading that these novels made me feel it, <laughs> like like maybe like <laughs> empathize, you know, with the the like the the trainee idol uh, system, um, and like yeah. it just made it that much more relatable uh, for me. And and Stephanie, I, I don't know if you were 
there's anything yeah. that, that you particularly liked about these uh, two books. Oh, for sure. Um, so I, I related somewhat to, to Candace or some of the struggles she went through and the feelings she had. Um, I, I, I definitely was not a K-pop star or idol, but <laughs> I did. Um, but I do have a history in labor organizing, um, particularly activism against Google, my employer. Mm. So so I just felt so many parallels Mm. there in terms of a company that, that claims to be, uh, you know, really caring for the employees and like bringing in change. Um, but really it's the same old, like capitalist exploitation inside. And so just like the brainwashing, the onboarding, like just reminded me so much of Google and Candace's experience as an activist going out there and just how nerve wracking it is. Like she was sick to her stomach, but also in a good way, feeling butterflies and energy. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's, that's the real, (laughs) you know, so Yeah. And, you know, I feel like when people talk about like issues in the K-pop industry, I mean, they're always pretty much always labor issues as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you're saying, both about kind of the indoctrination of a, you know, capitalistic system on you, but then also um, the change within like an individual to go from like a willing cog to like a whistleblower Mm -hmm. is all incremental. So Mm -hmm. Um, that's also something I tried to show a little bit, like that it's an evolution, um, both of what's happening to Candace and also what she's willing to actually do to push back against it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, so like my, my question is like, how did you personally, or as a writer know what that personal mm-hmm. transition to an activist or someone who speaks out and fights is like? Is that something you have done in your life? Or have you interviewed people really closely who have you know, done the activist thing, that transformation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think like in terms of being an activist or just speaking up in general, um, everyone has their own skills that they bring to it. Um, so I don't know, like I just haven't been much of like a, organizer in my life when it comes to like speaking up just because like I'm I'm like not like a natural like manager type I do not like telling people what to do even in like good ways (laughs) it's just like I'm always just like okay everyone you can do your own thing or if you want to do this like why not so um my way of kind of like speaking out has always just been through writing Mm -hmm. um but writing like a story, mm-hmm. not so much as like writing about like an issue, not because I don't care about issues, mm-hmm. but it's just like not really what my talent is um, and mm-hmm. not really where I have confidence. So writing this novel was pretty scary because, um, you know, I, I don't, I am an outsider in the K-pop industry for sure. Um, so I didn't want to come in as an outsider and speak on it in terms of this is what needs to change. So I decided to make it more about like, in general, like young people being put into really tough situations where their talents and, you know, kind of their lives are being exploited for gain by other people, um, usually older people. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I tried to make it more of a universal experience. And I think that's honestly what made it more real um, I definitely did do a lot of research, but um, I realized at a certain point, like not that many K-pop stars really, even former K-pop stars talk that deeply about the trainee process right. because I think they either kind of are wor- fearful of it or they just don't want to uh, think about it or talk about it. So um, there was only so much I could do with like um, research, even though I did as much as I possibly could. And at a certain point, um, I didn't have a very long deadline. So I was just like, okay, I just need to start writing. Instead of approaching this as a journalist or even a K-pop fan, I'm going to approach it as a novelist, as a writer, creative writer. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's actually what, what helped make it more real to the point where um, a former K-pop trainee that, I'm in contact with, they actually said, oh my God, it felt so real or so true to life. Like, um, and they even told me about certain things that like, I thought I had made up, but they were like, wait, <laughs> how did you know that? I didn't think anyone had ever talked about that. And I was just like, oh no, I just put myself in like the shoes of someone. Like 
I just put like my feelings of like trying to get into college or trying to get yeah. into magazines um, as a non like New York City child of socialites, which is very hard. <laughs> um, so uh, I I just put a lot of those feelings into it, but happened to put it into like the experience of a sixteen year old K-pop trainee. Yeah, you you mentioned your your research, your interviews you did, and I was just mm-hmm. talking to Peter before the the show about like, oh my gosh, being assigned, paid to fly to Korea and research K-pop for three weeks to write uh-huh. this like this story just would be the dream of so many K-pop fans. Like to yeah. go interview celebrities, like just like learn and like eat up everything you can. So just for 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 the fans out there yeah. who would love to live live vicariously through <laughs> your your research trip experience, could you take us through it a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. um so this was a while ago. This was long, mm. long before I knew I was gonna write a novel about K pop. Mm. So this is when I was still a staff writer at Entertainment Weekly. Mm. And I was like pretty junior. Um, so, and this was the first time I'd ever traveled for a story. Um, wow. So it was cool oh that gosh. it wasn't just to like from New York to LA, it was New York to yeah. Seoul. Um, but it ended up being extremely, extremely stressful, like especially mm. right before I left because I tried to do as much preparation as I could. I was like, oh, this is Entertainment Weekly. We've never had a problem getting interviews with like literal A-listers. Like, if we wanted to talk to like Reese Witherspoon and she had a project mm-hmm. coming up, we would just be like, Hey, can you talk to entertainment weekly? And she'd be like, sure. You don't like talking about like scandal and personal life. And you like talking about projects. So yes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I tried to convey that to K-pop, um, but they were very, very, very um, a little bit cagey. And yeah. like, I yeah. t- definitely understand why, um, you know, they didn't see me as like a fellow Korean. They saw me as like a Korean American. Um, yeah. And um, th- like, whenever I got got somewhere with someone to set something up, like they'd be like, "Oh, can you bring like some?" It, they would always be like, "Can you bring like eleven hard copies of magazines where you wrote things?" <laughs> and like, I'm like, "Okay." Um, and can you bring like fifty copies of your business card? It was always just like really over the top. Ooh. Um. And, um, there would be, once I actually got to Korea, I had like very few things lined up. So I was very worried. Um, I had a lot of things where like I was going back and forth or, um, no one had responded yet. So I was just like, uh Oh, I don't think I really have a story here, but, um, here I go. Um, and then like, there would be times when I had something with an actor or actress and, um, I'd go to a studio where they were filming something. And then when it came time for me to go interview them, they just wouldn't come out of the room. And their manager would be like, oh, um, they had a car accident last week. And I was like, oh my God, are it, you know, is she okay? And the manager would be like, oh no, like I meant, I meant like a, he meant like a gaffe in an interview, like a awkward oh, moment in an interview. Yeah, and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the word is like very similar. So I was always just like, oh, yeah. like, so like they were, I just like kind of learned how sensitive it was over there. Like any little word, um, yeah, can really get someone in trouble. So that was partly why they were so cagey with me. And then they ended up mostly only giving me people who were English speakers. Um, mm. but there were some exceptions. Um, one amazing exception was I got to um, interview Bong Joon Ho the Academy Award oh, winning director of Parasite. No yeah. way. Yeah. And like the funny thing is my mom actually moved to Korea after raising me and like my family in America. Um, mm. And she actually like did way more for booking me than like Entertainment Weekly. They had zero context there. Um, mm-hmm. And like even I just like just came up against, but she's like not even a entertainment person. She's like a professor, but somehow she managed Still. to get all these crazy crazy people to come talk to me <laughs> like wow. Juwon the actor and like she would come with me as my translator because I'm definitely not oh. fluent enough to do this so type of sweet. interview <laughs> um, 
Um, but I would always at first be embarrassed to be like, I brought my mom to this interview. But then <laughs> um, I, w- I would always just pretend she was just like some, you know, lady who was like traveling with me. But then I was just like, okay. Um, who looks just like you. <laughs> exactly. So then I, it got too awkward. And I was like, that's my mom, by the way. And they're like, oh, my God. And they were, you know, they were being very Korean and being very polite and like, like, oh, can you please take this water for you on your way home mm-hmm. and all that. But um, yeah, it was so cool. And I really, really learned like from that trip, how important like entertainment was to Korea and why yeah. exactly um, they there might be some, I definitely don't want to call it paranoia, but like just this, that protectiveness over it. Um, and it's not just, oh, they're afraid to like lose face or something. It's just like, but it's actually just that, you know, entertainment is a huge, huge product for um, Korea, not to just to make money, but because um, it's important to tell their story mm-hmm. around the world. And um, they kind of differ from a lot of other, you know, um, countries in the area in terms of like, they actively want people to really share. They they love when, you know, um, foreigners are... <laughs> Uh, partaking um, they really really want to tell their story in all sorts of different ways um, and they don't really want it to you know be told incorrectly so uh, yeah like I kind of got like a sense of like the weightiness of it which definitely informed my books all these years later it's funny like as you're walking through all of that I'm like seeing all the connections <laughs> like from your experience <laughs> yeah. like represented in the novel and I, I saw that you also thanked um I'm sorry, my, my Korean pronunciation is the worst. But, but uh-huh. uh, you know, you think Amma? Oh, yeah. Amma. Yeah. Amma had 70 years, so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, Stephanie is, is the actual, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stephanie makes up for my horrible oh, pronunciations. So and, and no, no, no. Me and Peter are a team. But no. <laughs> Yeah, no one cares as long as, like, you know, you, you make an effort and, like, that's all yeah. that matters. But, yeah, um, uh, like, the mom in the books is, like, definitely a little bit based mm-hmm. on my mom. Yeah. But, like, um, the difference is my my real-life mom is, like, very glamorous. <laughs> this, one is, <laughs> this one is, like, more, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, but the spirit is, like, very Korean-American mom. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I like mm-hmm. that you, you, mm-hmm. you make a deliberate effort to talk about the Korean-American experience. Um, I, you know, I've got like a million other things I want to ask you, but maybe I, I want to like, maybe transition to Stephanie, something that you and I were, um, yeah, we were talking earlier today about, um, about Candace, the mm-hmm. protagonist of the book and how I noticed in the, um, in the beginning that you portrayed her as a Korean American who loves K-pop, but is kind of closeted about like yes. k-pop for korean culture yes. she has these friends who are like super fans like a black girlfriend and i think i think a white guy friends yeah. who are super into k-pop but she is she herself is korean mm-hmm. and she acts like she doesn't care about it mm-hmm. that right. much yeah and so I, I i wanted to i was like ooh, that's a unique choice <laughs> yeah. to, to to portray her as someone like that yeah. um, right. and i i, I wonder is was that your personal experience growing up? Like, um, yeah, yeah. Why, where, where did that and, choice come? Sorry, from? if I could just jump in, on, I, yeah. I just mm-hmm. got it again. So, just Do along it. those lines, um, how are you like in, in telling in planning out these stories? Like, how were you thinking about how you were going to make this story more accessible to people who who might not, you know, know all about you know the Korean experience or you know even follow K-pop and. Certainly, we saw a lot of things yeah. where you try to break it down, and you had like these short excerpts, or maybe go to the index and like look up a description or something. But like, you know, what was your strategy? And yeah. in, in both, you know, what Stephanie is talking about in terms of like related to your yeah. freedom experience, and then making it more accessible. No, the, yeah, no, these are great questions to put together because they're so related. Um, because um, so Candace is her attitude at the beginning is a little bit like mine um in that i was almost when i was younger but i have more of an excuse because when i was like candace's age it was like you know the 2000s but like yeah um and like you know korean stuff wasn't as mainstream or like cool as it is now but i definitely kind of overcompensated sometimes in terms of like 
Oh, I don't know. I almost wore it as a badge of honor, not knowing mm. that much about Korean stuff, mm-hmm. which is really mm. something I'm very embarrassed about now. Mm. But also, you know, it was a different time and I was a child <laughs> growing up in the South. Um, so mm. she she kind of takes that on. But the thing is, like, she does like it just as music because what I often want to tell my friends who are not Korean or K-pop fans, um, that, like, K-pop is not that different from just regular good pop music. Well, made by the um, same people a lot of the times. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I get a lot of friends who are just like, oh, it's so interesting, but like, I'm just like so not a fan of it. It doesn't connect with me at all. But then they like Selena <laughs> Gomez. You know, it's like, it's all like, mm-hmm. it's not that different. So that's some, that's a point that I was sort of trying to make too. And that like, Candace kind of learns that like, it's all pretty universal and like, um, she doesn't really need to be ashamed of like being too in it because she herself has that identity. (laughs) Um, And I definitely wanted her friends to be bigger fans at first than she is because um, I just wanted to show how universal K-pop is. And also I wanted her to be a little bit new to it, Mm -hmm. um, new ish Mm -hmm. to K-pop because um, I wanted the books to be um, accessible to anyone, super fans and also people who are brand new Mm -hmm. to the whole world, because I think K-pop and Korea, which are very separate things, but um, especially the K-pop world is so different than what a lot of people, you know, um, in the U.S. especially are used to, Mm -hmm. that it's like interesting as almost a world. Um, more than just like a pop culture preference. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. that's why I'm, I have a ton of regret to this day that the titles have the word K-pop in it. And them. not because yeah. I want to fool anyone, but because I get so many responses, even from big K-pop fans who just think, oh, this is going to be like a overly like fan fanny book. Um, mm. Or like they often even assume that it's going to be nonfiction about like some fandom or something. No. Um, and I was like, oh, I, to my publisher, I'm like, I knew it, I knew it. And like, I get so much feedback. It's eh? just like, oh my God, this was such like a fun story. I had no interest in the subject matter. I didn't even know why I picked <laughs> it up. Whereas like other K-pop books that don't have the word K-pop in it, like they just mm. get like a kind of mainstream, just like audience of like, ooh, this sounds interesting. And mm. Korea sounds interesting. And, but um, be- because people have this kind of um, bias against using the bias in the general, yeah, yeah, term, yeah, not yeah, the K pop, yeah, yeah, yeah. a bias yeah, against K pop for some strange reason, um, it's been kind of an upward climb. But like making Candace new to it was like a way that I mm-hmm. tried to preempt that or go against that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, Maybe want to shift gears just a, a little bit here thematically. Yeah. So um, there were times I think you know I was I was reading this and I felt like I could hear you like speaking through the character, like kind of breaking before the wall, like yeah. I'm trying to make a statement here. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of <laughs> Stephanie, we were just talking before this. Like one example that stands out to me was um, in one of the interviews that Candace was giving uh, mm. around. Um, I think it was commenting on uh the company's uh handling and and um scandal, but uh, I think what she said something along the lines of um, sure, this is an issue, not unique to Korea. This happens in all places because right. I think maybe what you're saying with um you know the bias against maybe sometimes like Western coverage of k-pop yeah. is that like oh god here we go again another like quote-unquote dark side of k-pop you know yeah story that's just gonna like rely on xenophobia and try to like paint korea mm-hmm. like that was a moment where i felt like okay you're trying to say something a little nuanced here like acknowledging like yeah these are bad things but it shouldn't be you know indicative of like a culture a society a people yeah um as a whole yeah no i almost see the books more as like about a generational conflict, mm-hmm. you know, more that's like not super specific to um, K-pop or Korea. But I do think that K-pop is like a very good um, 
extreme version or extreme example of certain things um, that are really fun to examine. Like, um, I think the kind of, um, you know, the whole pyramid scheme that is like college applications Mm -hmm. in America, as well as in Korea, um, is really incredibly intense. And there's as much like, you know, um, mind games and like, um, you know, hope torture <laughs> in uh, in that mm-hmm. system as mm-hmm. there is in K in um, K pop trainee programs, mm-hmm. and like you know, um, people might talk about like K pop as being like uniquely bad for mental health, but like just imagine like just think of like what that process puts millions and millions and millions of kids through. Um, also bad for health, also bad for physical and mental health, and also keeps them up at night (laughs) when they should probably be getting the most sleep of their entire lives. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like there, it's definitely not unique. And I did like kind of insert that voice there as like Candace just becomes more aware Mm -hmm. um, of herself. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's definitely that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I love that you made the comparison or brought, broadened the critique to, um, you know, college prep, activities just a week ago we we published our episode reviewing the k-drama sky castle have you Mm, watched that that is one of my favorites oh my gosh okay we'll send you the episode (laughs) i think you'll enjoy the discussion um but yeah like we uh we loved that uh we loved the drama in general and we too made the connection that hey like kids getting into college are put under so much stress and they're told that okay all you have to do is get into one of these elite colleges and then your life will be made then you'll be comfortable then you'll be free then you'll be on top of the pyramid Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know if you remember that part professor cha and the pyramid teaching his. oh wow it's always oh, one wow. more thing that you have. It's to always do. one more thing. The goalpost yeah. always moves, and that was Candace's experience. Mm-hmm. She never truly in the industry like made it. Even like one J, who's like yeah. the, the biggest star in the group, he said like, "Dang, sometimes I regret yeah. becoming a, an idol." Yeah, exactly. Like you never, you never relax. It's never over. What was the um, yeah. the debt a, another analogy or similar or parallel? Yes. Trying to make yeah student loans (laughs) for sure exactly and like as we know as people who follow k-pop that's a very real thing (laughs) like starting out with debt and by the way that's often true of american um pop pop stars as well yeah um it's just maybe not just as scrutinized as much but um yeah like it there really is just so many parallels and like when i was writing k-pop revolution well after i finished it Mm -hmm. um you know, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka spoke up and I just felt mm. that they were very Candace-like moments, you know? <laughs> um, uh-huh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Simone was mentioned in the book. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that, that was also really interesting. Like, um, I mean, reading this, there's these fictional companies and songs mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. they coexist along real K-pop songs. And mm-hmm. so, like... I I don't know like what 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 was the strategy there like I at times when I was like yeah. reading like essay essay or I'm I'm sorry if yeah. I'm not supposed to like sp- say it all together but like I I was imagining oh this is SM <laughs> oh <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I, as I was like you know <laughs> thinking about their entire right. corporate structure and system but like what how right. how did you decide to to balance like the real life references. Um, yeah, and I know. I noticed that that one one particular K-pop group was never. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. Yeah. right, right. Okay, see. Okay, this so is, uh, we need we need to know. Right, this is a big um, thing. Another regret. So for the first book, <laughs> um, I did sprinkle in a lot of um, girl groups, boy groups, just all sorts of real life, and then also fictionalized mm-hmm. because I just like creating like a world like an alternate universe where like all these coexist mm-hmm. fictional and real um but then weirdly my british publisher was just like um i i published in um uk and us at the very same time which is a little unusual but um my british pub editor was just like um get rid of all the real boy groups 
not just BTS. Mm. She said, get rid of. All I was the wondering why it was more girl group heavy. No boy yeah. yeah. And, mm. But then just to avoid BTS, but it would, yeah. but then I was just like, but then I also have girl group references and I'm like, I kind of don't feel like getting rid of those. Yeah. Um, but now I just wish I kept all of them in or just like took all of them out, you know? Mm. Um, so, but, uh, so I, I actually like, that's one of those notes where I didn't like fully investigate why or like think yeah. through the logic of it. I was just like, Oh, she told me to do this and she seemed really yeah. adamant about it. So I took them out. But yeah, like, um, but in terms of like, whether like the company is one group or any like individual K-pop stars, like based on one, it's definitely not. But, um, I mean, I was definitely like influenced by like parts of everything. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, uh, the, the boy group, um, uh, in, in the books, like it's definitely not like based on one, but if anyone it's probably like more it kind of looks a little bit more like big bang than it does mm-hmm. bts in terms of like yeah. there being five members and there's one that's like clearly kind of a breakout star whereas in bts like everyone's a little more equal mm-hmm. um and then the company like i don't think it resembles sm or like any of the big four i think i refer to it as a big three in the first book yeah. which I also i got some flat for but um uh mm-hmm. I was kind of like in kind of second generation old school mindset with K-pop. And yeah, I was like, Oh, there's yeah. big three, you know, <laughs> like, um, but uh, anyway, um, no, in a weird way, I almost think that like the structure of SAY feels a little bit more like CJ mm. in terms of like, oh, yeah, there being the, so many all the businesses, like and, other yeah. conglomerates with it yeah. or like having like a big yeah. skyscraper. <laughs> and yeah. I've been to the headquarters of all the other ones except for other major ones except for J- JYP and like um they definitely don't seem like huge huge like skyscrapers they just feel like mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. smaller businesses you know so um yeah so uh I, I was curious with you've already given us a lot in terms of like you know lessons and and themes that you're trying to impart but were there any other like core messages that you were trying to uh, mm-hmm make sure young adult readers were, were taken away. Um, oh, yes. So I'm really glad you asked this because um, this was very important for book two mm-hmm. um, because the experience between, like my thoughts about social media specifically mm-hmm. changed so much from putting out the first book and putting out the second book mm-hmm. because um for the the first book was like really my first time putting like you know a creative work out there to the world you know um and i've worked in media for like all my adult life so i'm like very sad i i consider myself somewhat savvy about it but then like the feeling of being the one to actually put your own stuff out there versus like talking about other people putting their stuff out there was really really different and it really opened my eyes to like oh like there are things that like I would never have thought of that are actually really unfair that happen in both media and social media. Um, and I didn't fully empathize with it until I actually did it myself and got like, um, I, these books are very, very non-controversial. I've gotten like, no, like, you know, not no, like really bad, like, um, responses or anything. Um, it's all been very positive, but like, um, there was a scary moment um every author can tell you about this uh there's a time between when you're finished with a book and you can't change a word of it <laughs> and when it actually comes out when and that period is really long that's like nine months um oh. and like especially on book twitter you can kind of look around and see like a lot of crazy things happening to other authors right before their book mm-hmm. comes out because you know people have access to like early editions and stuff and, like, you're kind of just sitting there and, like, the books aren't available to the public, but, like, a few people have it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those few people kind of have a lot of influence to, like, kind of shift the story around your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just saw it go wrong for so many people right around when my book was coming out. And I was just like, oh, no, I don't know. This, it felt so vulnerable. Um, but then, like, about a month before the first book came out, um, this one K-pop journalist who I don't really know, but, like, I know through twitter basically she's she just dms me and she's just like oh i was debating whether to tell you this but you're kind of getting dragged on twitter right now and i was like what (laughs) really so a k-pop journalist had 
isolated three words from my book. Um, and these three words came from one chapter that was excerpted on EW.com. And so anyone could have seen it, mm -hmm. but like she isolated three words and used that as like a reason for why, like no one should read this book and like why, like, um, it's a bad thing that like I, as like a male writer wrote from the point of view mm. or wrote even not even from the point of view, but, but wrote about young women. Um, the mm. words were milky white, oh, um, luscious. I can see where it's going. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and panties. Mm. So milky white, mm. it was all from the chapter when Candace walks into her team Right, 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 dorm right. room for the and very first time the yes girls so yeah she like uh -huh. uses the words milky white twice because um i actually wanted to show like bina is not <laughs> that milky white but um, like so this other girl is because there is colorism in k-pop right. and i just wanted to yeah, yeah. show that and i wanted her to yeah. notice it um and then luscious was literally about helen helena's like you know, strawberry blonde hair that she has in the first book, um, because yeah. it's like a very big feature of hers. And then panties, that one, maybe like, I could see her point. But like, I really use that word because growing up in with a Korean grandmother, like the word for, you know, underwear, the child is, is penty, 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 penty. Yeah. So I always thought of it as like, even in my head as in English, I think of it as just like panties, <laughs> like even for yeah, what underwear, I wear. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to show that like, oh, this in a room where you have to get comfortable with like four other people really, really fast. Like you're going to notice like, oh, everyone just leaves everything around, you know? Um, but then th that was used to be like, oh, like this is why men should never write about women, especially in K-pop, blah, blah, blah. And then it, it got kind of a lot of like, retweets and then this other really really big k-pop journalist retweets that but with like a gif of like books being burned <gasps> and she's she's like books like this should never be published like and they were both like yeah let's like scrub someone hand me like a razor so i can scrub my eyeballs out or something um and i was like wow that is so mm. extreme and then it got like retweeted like a thousand times and like mm. i think in the world of like getting dragged on twitter a thousand retweets is not huge but that this was by far the biggest response i had gotten to my book yeah. the, at that point right. by like the public you know and i was just like oh my god i'm gonna be destroyed any chance of like writing future books it's is gonna be over. gone yeah because like <laughs> i at this point i had like zero like good yeah. reviews or anything so i was just like yeah. oh my god this is what people will see so then like in the last month when i had opportunities to do things like this or anything i was just like you know what maybe it's best if i just like hide and like pretend this mm. book doesn't exist so i actually legitimately told my publisher like, oh like can i just like not do this interview oh like if it, if this place is like consider wavering on whether or not to review it can maybe like they don't they don't have to you know mm. so i kind of just like backed off but then when the book actually came out literally no one thought this <laughs> and no one had that same opinion it was literally just one person who tried to create this opinion <laughs> out of nothing yeah. um and then later one of the people the really big k-pop journalist who like you know retweeted with the fire burning um, she actually reviewed my book for a major publication and gave it a glowing review. So she, <laughs> she didn't even remember. She wasn't even thinking. She didn't even care about like the issue of representation of women by male authors. They didn't, but they were trying to use like that kind of like, you yeah, know, yeah. social justice tone actually just to like be petty. Yeah. And I was just like, that is so lame. And I'm like, if I wanted to use the same kind of weapons against them i absolutely could because needless to say both of these women were white why and i was like i was just like um <laughs> needless so, to say already knew yeah so i was just kind of like so you might not love the way i wrote about those three phrases i used to you know write about like you know young women but like how about you like first of all assuming that like i identify as completely male in the first place mm. Um, making me feel, making a queer man feel like a freaking, like, you know, pervert, basically, right. yeah. <laughs> for appreciating yeah. female artists, which is, like, kind of in, in the mm -hmm. culture of, like, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> gay people. And, yeah. like, and also, like, making a queer Korean creator feel 
silenced, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, I really ended up thinking, sorry, I went off on for a really long time about this, but, but like, Mm -hmm. um, it really made me think of like how saying the right things is so, um, valued on social media. Um, like, oh, everyone has to say this one thing that everyone's saying or else like you're a bad person, Mm -hmm. you know? But it's actually very easy to figure out what it what the right thing to say is, and you don't actually have to believe it or put any action behind it. And that's kind of what I put into um, the character of Lena in the second book. She knows the right things to say, but does not actually, be, you know. Um, so, and I think that like even I put a character in the second book that's like a YouTuber who like yeah, pretends to take a stand. Her. pretends to take a stand for like a good reason but really just wants to tear someone down so like i wanted to show social media as like a really great force for good um because you know candace does you like social media really does help her at the end of the first book leading into the second book but it can also be used for the exact opposite reason and it's often used for both by the same people (laughs) so (laughs) So yeah, it's something that I kind of like infused into the second book, which I think is very important because mm. I what I worry about is um, young creators being afraid to do something a little bit daring or very distinctive mm. because um, social media, the force of social media is to make everything look kind of the same in both ways, you know, so um, it's kind of dangerous. So that's kind of what I was getting at. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it- definitely see um hyperbole in uh yeah twitter especially like it's funny you say this like just yesterday i was speaking to someone in design at twitter saying like hey these are things you probably want to watch for but um yeah like just like how one isolated thing can be pulled out of context and then blown up Mm -hmm. for a particular echo chamber um in a not so yeah. don't you think twitter is designed for this and loves this and profits off of this uh, the absolutely like, absolutely yeah. <laughs> they're just yeah. like Ooh, great great for point thanks for pointing that out let's like pump that up let's turbocharge <laughs> that effect yeah. more exactly. cancellations more woke shaming more retweets yeah i know but it's so it's so sad because <sighs> like i think a lot of the people who do have good intentions just end up kind of using it for the bad wrong ones that- it's almost like a trap. It's like designed to make people do that. Yeah. In a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the the character limit. So you can't have background or context or get to know a person. All you see is this one line and then you shoot from the hip and you retweet it or you, you hop on a bandwagon. Like that's what Twitter is yeah. about. It's designed for that. Right. Yeah. So like a lot of people who don't know K-pop well who've read the second book, they're just kind of like, wait, can a K-pop star really get dragged just for like looking at her bandmate in a slightly shady way and i'm like yes mm-hmm. <laughs> that does happen especially mm-hmm. to female stars <laughs> so <laughs> yeah by the uh, by the by i wonder if we actually know the two journalists you're referencing so i don't know if there's anything we can Ooh. side channel on your behalf post recording okay one of them is very like yeah like I think you'll know yeah. exactly okay <laughs> okay yeah. I, I can probably level with them but anyway um I, I think that that touches on just like another theme that I've seen across the novels of, well, for background, like my day job is in PR publicity. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the lens I see the world. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. uh, um, how, sorry, I'm sorry, the bad guy sorry, sometimes. No. Um, <laughs> but like, that was something that I saw really pervasive in, in both these novels, be it like, um, you know, these interviews or these like, grassroots like social campaigns <laughs> having human like humongous like change and impact mm-hmm. in the real world um yeah like do you like I, I think there was a lot of really big shifts um in, yeah. in, in both the novels around that but like yes we see it in, in real life but do you think like is that potential for good like do you see that happening in the real world like could we see good outcomes from you know publicity and and grassroots social movements i i think so Mm -hmm. but it also just like i don't know i feel like uh, just in general like 
in society, we kind of feel like if we have a really strong feeling or if we just say something, it's really doing something, which sometimes mm. it is, but it not, but it, we do need more action mm -hmm. versus just the right words. Right. And if mm. some people are actually, I think there are actually a lot of people who are doing the right actions or at least not harmful actions, but they don't know the right words. And they, but people are putting too much importance on just the words. You yeah. know what I mean? If that makes sense. Mm. And like, in my day job, I work in um, branded content, which is basically marketing. And I see this so much from um, corporations. They are so much more concerned with like what people are saying on social than like what will actually sell their product even. Yes. So I'm like, so I'm just like, wow, like you are catering to this very small population who probably don't buy or watch anything or vote. <laughs> so it's just like, well, like why, why, why are, why, why do you place so much importance on it? And that's what Candace has to learn in the second book, because the first one was just all getting the courage to say something, right. which she hadn't mm -hmm. done at that point in her life. But then the second book is like, hey, like that can actually, people can use that to, you know, backfire on you. Right. So now you actually have to do something for yourself and for the cause that you actually started with your words. And that is a million times harder. So that's what the second book is kind of like more about, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And not the, the the specific lesson that not everyone deserves the gift of your vulnerability and your honesty mm. and yes. you, you speaking your truth. Not if, it's like people are going to weaponize that. People are going right. to say they agree with you and they're holding space for you and then just like stab you with it. Yeah. And this is like a lesson that like literally she already has learned in the first sentence, which is that like not caring about what people think and just like doing it or like mm. already kind of having lost your reputation. It yeah. can actually be freeing because yeah. then you're just not worried about it. Um, but then she has to learn that a million more times in the course of the uh, Well, she wanted to stay. Like she, she got canceled, but she wanted to debut. She wanted so, to like, how do you How do you make both work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think sometimes even we have gone through similar experiences oh. here on the podcast by not always putting a certain idol group in a certain very specific kind of light. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I think maybe just uh, just another theme that I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, like we see patriarchy and sex sexism, like you have some mm -hmm. generational uh, shifts and power dynamics. But, um, you know, just wondering if you wanted to expand more on like the uh, the sexism dynamic that that you wanted to either bring to light or or bring through in these mm -hmm. in these novels. Like what what do you think the state of it mm -hmm. is today? Yeah. Like ha have we progressed or moved at all in K pop oh, um, and sexism, feminism? Um if you have thoughts on that. Or, you know. Yeah, I mean I think it is really such like a tough, intractable issue in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, there is progress. Like um, I don't think we've seen as much as we would like, not just in K-pop, but just like even like in Hollywood as well. Mm -hmm. Um, after all these years, and you know, after all these years of people knowing better, <laughs> you know, again, like the action usually lags behind the words. Um, but in K-pop, like yeah, like just the fact that so many um scandals seem to hit um you know girl groups or female idols a lot harder and kind of sticks with them for a lot longer um i think it's just a fact mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and it ha seems to be able to take them down a little bit more mm -hmm. um and i think it also it is on like the people who kind of hold the privilege to share the privilege a little mm -hmm. bit and that's what i get into especially in the second book with 1j and like mm -hmm um how easily like he's able to be forgiven right. um but then like it's not that he's um malicious but he almost doesn't think to he just doesn't he's not aware enough to like think that oh like not everyone has this experience or like oh maybe i can actually me just saying one thing would actually make a giant difference mm -hmm. um for the for this girl group um 
So yeah, and like we've also seen it in um, Hollywood with like Justin Timberlake finally saying something about <laughs> Janet Jackson and, and and Britney Spears after all this time, um, after like you know fifteen years of just like coasting while like others really mm-hmm. struggled. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that's like a universal thing, and I think like the more people see um, instances of that. Um, hopefully being overcome um because like i really think that like individually if you talk to like a fan they're like yes i want to see a girl group with um plus size members um in in, like a major from major company um i think they would say yes of course but like it's but things are so so slow to change because i think like a lot of the decision makers are really behind Mm -hmm. um and I feel the same way about queer idols too. I mean, mm. around the world, I know there's like extremes on both ends and like, you know, it's such a diverse um, group of people, fans of K-pop. But like, I do think that like so many of them are very queer friendly and are queer themselves. Um, there are obviously tons and tons of exceptions, but um, I kind of think that it's time and there's really not that much risk anymore, yeah. um, mm. truly. Um, and that's easy to say and like, but the people who are the first ones to kind of be out at a major company are, are, it is going to be really tough, but it's a huge risk, but it's also like, it also could be great. And that's what I kind of do Mm -hmm. with the second book. Like Candace did take the risk. So she is the most controversial person in her group, but she's also the most popular or most visible. And that's often how it works. Like you, Mm -hmm. the people who kind of are making the biggest changes get the most love, but then also the most hate. And that happens in the other girl group, um, Never Idol, with um, the Black Korean member. Um, She gets the most racist, you know, horrible um, messages, but she's also the most beloved because, you know, she is doing something different. So, yeah, I think it is time, but it's, like, way easier said than done. (laughs) Yeah. Um, By the way, did you you ever meet Alex Reed, the uh, first... um... I had a chance to speak with her. Black yeah. K-pop idol. Yeah. Oh, me? Yeah. No, but I, I did watch interviews with her. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She's awesome. But like the stuff that, yeah. yeah, the stuff that she had to go through was kind of crazy too. Just like having to stand yeah. off to the side and not having that, yeah, that was nuts. explained. That's so weird. I'm just like, mm. can we please get the book, the memoir on that, please? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, she's actually working By on... weird, you mean racist. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> The little bird tells me she has been working on something, but I, I don't know if her plans oh, changed. Nice. Um, I definitely want to read. Yeah, that. so I, I, yeah, to follow up on the on the LGBT right. thing, mm-hmm. um, are you familiar with uh, boy love dramas? Or yes, um, yeah. So we're we're starting to see content that you know stars some K-pop idols actually like yeah. kissing each other like on yeah. screen. Uh, which you know, in in my day, coming up in K K pop was unheard of. We're starting yeah. to see that. Um, yeah. And do you think that reflects actual, I guess, structural or systemic changes for LGBT mm-hmm. people in Korea, yeah. or atti- attitudes really changing, or is this? And we we talk about this on the show a lot. Uh, queer baiting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, it, maybe there's some of both or nuance. Yeah. But like, when when you see those, like, what what are you thinking? See, like, I think it's really tough because I think even getting like crumbs is like sort of progress. And not mm. to say that that's crumbs. It's like I think it's very exciting. But even to get mm-hmm. like a little progress is really exciting. So I, don't, I almost mm-hmm. don't want to slap the hand by saying that it's just queer baiting, even though there's mm-hmm. probably some elements of that. But I also think it just kind of taps into like a universal thing that's going on where like um kind of straight audiences or you know um uh or even like self-identifying hetero audiences are taking queer love stories as their own like and and not like not like a proprietary way or appropriation way but like it almost like reflects their own experiences or desires as much as like a straight Mm -hmm. couple like there's so many um you know um books uh featuring um two male identifying and identifying individuals getting together and like they're packaged for straight women and i know that can be kind of controversial but i actually think 
that is awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's kind of like um, blurring the distinctions of what audiences things are for or allowed to be consumed by. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like, it is always incremental. So like, we can't, I I don't think I want to be like too angry about like the increments, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, So yeah, I think that is like real, like real, really actually exciting. Um, And even that, like seeing that will help, um, you know, young closeted Korean people to like see themselves in those stories and perhaps feel more validated. um, Because we all know, this is the beauty of queerness, it pops up equally around the world, (laughs) whether Mm -hmm. people know, know, acknowledge it or not. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've like, actually really met certain people who are like, "Oh no, we we don't have gay people in our country. It's just over in the U.S." Exactly, oh, it's a phenomenon. It's like, you think? You think? Exactly. Yeah, it's just spreading in the U.S. for some reason. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Yeah. I I mean, you you're talking about it earlier, but I I genuinely wonder, like, you know, how many existing idols are in the the spotlight, you know, a list now. Mm-hmm that are closeted Mm. you know like yeah and like the thing is like i don't know i don't want to really partake in like speculating for like you know the titillation of it but like just but just like statistically just Mm. looking at them as human beings like they do exist i'm i don't even have anyone in mind i'm just like yeah yeah Yeah, it's a fact fact. (laughs) so um and like it is sad you know that it is kind of like a really hard, almost impossible situation to come out um, because I really don't think it should be, but um, I don't know. I think we're kind I, maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I think we're like kind of there. Right. What do you guys think? You, you guys probably track K-pop way closer than I do. What, what, do, you what, what do you mean by like there? What, like what, what? Like having like real, like some really open, I mean, I know we have like, open idols now but like from like major companies that are in like you know you know mainstream groups i don't know like i feel like it's it would almost be smart for them to do so at this point but well (laughs) i I, maybe you're gonna say the same thing stephanie with queer baiting there's a lot of appropriating like yeah i i think you know if you can ride the line of being the thing and not being this thing at the same time that seems to be the mm, most profitable outcome for you know corporate interests Ooh. involved so like yeah, yeah like i i think we we've of course seen stuff with like ace and um we're we're fans of nature of man nom um, only mm-hmm. one of only one of yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I know I'm thinking of a video in particular. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah, I went somewhere for a second. No, um, yeah, like we we did an episode uh, a couple of episodes ago about uh, Yoda Idol's music video "Tomboy" mm. and mm-hmm. you know whether it's doing something for feminism. Spoiler alert, we said, like, no. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, because, like, the, the political scene and the president-elect, all of that is raging oh, in the yeah. background. And we have these oh, girls, like, talking about, yeah, you know, tomboy is my attitude. I'm going to drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm, like, mm-hmm. manly. And, like, for actual structural change, we need yeah. to go, we need to go past, like, costume and, right, you know, and like it, superficial <laughs> stuff, and right. yeah, really, yeah, not acting, but right. actual and it, real exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah, and where it's just like kind of open from the beginning, and like, um, yeah. and last longer than a concept cycle. So. <laughs> that part, you, you, yeah, you know, they're gonna do something like cute or sexy for the next cycle, and they'll just like sweep the tomboy thing under the rug. Yeah. You know, just switch it up. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, but that—that's what 
that's what K-pop is doing. They mm-hmm. they push the envelope as long as it's profitable. And like you said, follow social media, follow fan behavior, and right. just try to keep the stocks up. And yeah. so what, what, what I really like about uh, K-pop revolution or, or and, and the end of K-pop confidential mm-hmm. is um, the idols themselves taking action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right to realizing that the company doesn't function without them without the idols like without the lab without their labor um, without their cooperation and so idols starting to wake up and not not exactly withdraw their labor um, Mm -hmm. but you know make a show of it like we could go on strike you don't own us that's what needs to happen Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like, you know, um, creators, like I'm not there yet in either respect, but like, I think sometimes they need to kind of realize that sometimes like their fame or their storytelling power is actually like more powerful than like the money. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, because a lot of corporations are very scared of any little things so, as i know from yeah, working in marketing, if the workers stop cooperating yeah. it's over. right and like the corporations don't want to lose control of their own like brand story you know so yeah. like they will lose money in order to maintain it you know so absolutely yeah, like no i google, feel like i mean from per- personal experience i can't remember the exact number but google definitely spent like tens of millions of dollars on union busting activities oh, like, against against us yes yeah, like you oh, know you could gosh. just you could have just you given us all just, raises you could have <laughs> just given the contract workers health care benefits with that money but no you would rather spend it on fighting the campaign well, but, but, exactly. but also maybe what you're getting at in the novels like okay mm-hmm. these like window dressing you know changes in corporate mm-hmm. you know for for yeah yeah we should be be suspicious of those cosmetic changes <laughs> <laughs> because exactly. you know you know those are rolling out you know and and this reminds me of a, a k-drama that came out last year imitation i don't know if Ooh, you I watched seen that oh you yeah you would i love think, it yeah, i think so okay. many parallels to your book um but yeah imitation has a a new like future k-pop label that comes out and tries to do things the right way as a business uh-huh. and Spoiler alert, it's not like it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe some viewers think that it worked, but me, me from a labor organizer perspective, I'm like, hmm, there's still a CEO who controls all the money. There's still, you know, it, it seems more chummy. It seems more right. like, oh, we all sit at the table together and you have access to the CEO, but it's still a business mm. of exploitation at the end of the day. Like the structure yeah. didn't really become more equitable. Um, K-pop is still rolling in the same yeah. way that it was. <laughs> so, um, exactly. so yeah, I I I, I, li- I like that you did that, and it reminded me so much of Google and tech companies with cosmetic <laughs> changes, but they're just right. the same old company on the inside. No, um, and I play around with like this idea that comes up a lot in the second book of like, ooh, if if a single K-pop idol becomes successful enough, maybe they can start their own pure artistic collectives. <laughs> because that's always, that's always been like, I think that's me projecting. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, like <laughs> one <it>. day. <laughs> Try <laughs> you know? it. You know? so, See how that goes. Exactly. Well, I think we, we should probably start wrapping things up. So like in closing, is there anything, I have to ask this because we're a K-pop podcast, but is there anything K-pop yeah related in your future from here like what what, what's next for you let's see um i am working on a different book right now it's another ya actually this is very recent um i've decided to start this new project that is um korean historical fantasy Mm. um and i'm really really excited about that one um but i've also been working on this adult novel that's Kind of all about me growing up in um atlanta georgia oh, uh, you said the south yeah yeah atlanta georgia right. and it's like kind of one of those immigrant family novels that's not about 
you know, trying to assimilate. It's like what happens when you assimilate too well. Mm, um, yes, yes. There's an older brother character in this book that has a Southern accent, is a Republican, mm, you know, mm, wants mm-hmm. a gun for his 18th birthday and he's Korean, yeah. but he doesn't seem to know it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know. I know this person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, kind of working on those two. But um I do have a good idea for a book three that involves mm. um, a group that may or may not still exist at the end of the second book. No spoilers. Um, uh-huh. uh, trying to um, pair, um, partner up with a big, big American label to make their big, like, American push. Mm. Um, yeah, and then Candace getting wrapped up with a huge, 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 huge American pop star and getting into her orbit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so. where do you go for How do you, like, make the drama even bigger and sakes, more yeah. thrilly? Right, oh right. Yeah. And now, like, the villain is not, like, the Korean label. It's, like, the American one that's exploiting the Good. Koreanness, you know? <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Yeah. By the way, like, <laughs> thank you so on much. On the side, yeah. like, just some pitches we get and stuff and things we get asked to basically do freelance consulting around. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That is happening. Like, I, yeah, I'm definitely sure. seeing it's totally that happening. Now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, hello, the Grammys. <laughs> oh yeah, right. right. That's, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Right. Um, I, I think oh, it was fun you. novels to to read, um, even as 35 year old adults. Or I'm I'm 35. Uh, anyway, 30 30 plus year old adults. So uh, yeah. Uh, so yep, here too. <laughs> pitch to to all of our listeners to to go check out. Um, both these novels out and um, thank you so much we'll we'll stay tuned for these future projects (laughs) thank you so much